I want to begin by saying good morning and welcome to the worship services to God here at the Lakeside Church of Christ. I want to thank you and the men here for the invitation to come and be part of this gospel meeting this week. And um, I'm excited and thrilled to finally get to meet you all. Uh, you all have fellowship with our work in Greer, South Carolina. You helped a new church get started. Um, we've grown to about, from about, we started with 18 people. We've grown to about 30. Uh, we average maybe about 25 in attendance on Sunday, 25 to 20, um, because some are sick and, and not able to always come. Um, but it's a good work, and it's, it's a work that started that there is no church. Um, I remember in preaching Alabama, uh, you, you had a, a Church of Christ almost on every street corner. Uh, I moved to South Carolina, and, and, and any type of flavor of Church of Christ, you might have 20 in the state. It, it's amazing. Where we live, there's maybe only about three or four Churches of Christ, about four in the city of Greenville, which is kind of a major city. Uh, in Alabama, we have 30 churches in our city. So it's, it's almost a little bit like a mission field. It's good to have sound churches there. And uh, you have fellowship with that, and your giving and your prayers uh, make that happen. I want to say a special thank you to um, Danny and to Kathy for their hospitality. Um, got here a little bit late last night, and, and as soon as you walk in their house, um, Danny and Kathy just made me feel warm at home and just helped me download from the trip and relax. And I really look forward to spending time with them. I stayed up a little bit late last night talking with Danny, enjoyed it very much about talking about God and the Bible. And enjoy doing that this week with you um, at the potluck and afterwards or after lessons. Or if you'd like to talk, you know, while I'm here, use me. <laughs> you know, I'm come, glad to come meet with you or meet somewhere, have some coffee. If I can do anything for you, let me know. Uh, I'm here at your disposal. And, and I hope and pray that everything that we do and say will be for the, the glory of, of Jesus Christ. Um, as you have noticed, our theme in our meeting is about grace. John chapter 1, verse 14, John describes Jesus as full of grace and truth. As we studied in the Bible class this morning, being a Christian, being a disciple, uh, it all begins with Jesus, with believing in Jesus and learning about Jesus and growing in Jesus and following in Jesus and dying in Jesus one day that we can go to heaven. It's all about Jesus. So if we're going to go to someone to learn about grace and learn about truth, the answer is always going to be Jesus. This morning we're going to talk about just grace. And yes, we're under law to Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're under the authority of Christ, Matthew chapter 28. But this morning I just want to spend time and out of our minds to absorb grace, God's grace, that we can understand it, that we can feel it in our life with the right knowledge of God's word. It produces the right emotions within our life. Tonight we're going to talk about, so if we're under grace, where does me obeying God fit in? Well, um, Titus tells us in Titus chapter 2, grace teaches us something. So we're, we're going we're to talk about Titus chapter 2 tonight. And then we're going to talk about, you know, when am I saved? How can I, I know I'm saved. And we're going to talk about that Monday night. Because of God's great grace, what he's done in my life, what he's doing in your life, and we can never repay him. We can be joyful and happy. We can have tears of joy sometimes singing these songs, singing about what God, how good God is to us. We need to be able to share that grace. We're going to talk about sharing God's grace Tuesday night. And whenever we go through trials and challenges in our life, 
And we're, we're going to look at grace for courageous living. And we're going to look at Jesus as he went through the grinder of temptation in his life and how he is our source for uh, courageous living. So I hope these lessons will be helpful to you in your journey. And I really believe that grace is one of the most fundamental subjects in the Bible. Um, the word is found 161 times in the Bible. And um, I just might, you know, don't, don't answer out loud, but if you're going to give grace a definition in your mind, uh, just come up with a, a word. What, how would you define grace? And you might go to Greek lexingtons and Greek dictionaries and find some good definitions and meanings and words of that. But this morning, what I want you to think about is one of the best definitions of grace, one of the best definitions of grace is seeing grace. So please open your Bibles with me to John chapter 8, verse 2. John chapter 8, verse 2. Seeing grace, I believe, helps us understand grace. Why talk about grace? I've been preaching about 35 years, and about three or four times during that time, I've had private conversations with Christians, and one Christian was, was very ill, and they knew the time of their departure was, was near, it was at hand, and in those three or four conversations, I was, I was taken back by a statement that these Christians made. I've, I've worshiped with them, I, w- I would judge them to be very mature Christians in the faith, and they would say, Brother Luther, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, that's a good question. It's a good thought. It's not a good feeling. <laughs> How do you answer that question in your mind, your heart? Are you going to heaven? If you left now, today, would you go to heaven? And we might, we might question that in our lives. How can I know I'm really going to heaven? How can I know when I'm saved? I believe it goes back to understanding God and his character and God and His grace. Does grace make you fear, feel fearful in your walk with Christ? Or does it make you feel confident? Does grace make you feel worthy of God? Or do you always feel unworthy to God? I know I feel unworthy sometimes. still have that feeling. Um, do you in your relationship with God have peace? Do you have a peaceful relationship with God? Or, or do you have more just, you just fear God? You know, he, our God is a consuming fire. Is that more your God that you feel? My goal of our lessons from the Bible, our Bible goal in this meeting, is to first know the truth. Jesus is the fullness of truth. And with the right knowledge, it gives us the right feelings. The right knowledge rightly gives us the right feelings that we should have in our life. Our feelings are not our guide. Feelings are the right byproduct of of knowing God's truth. So let's look at our text. Um, I've titled this lesson, Abounding Grace. I took that word abounding from a word that Paul uses in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to read a story familiar to you. And I hope that maybe you might see this in a little bit different way. That might um, encourage you this morning as we look at John chapter 8. This is going to be a little bit of a long reading. But we're going to begin in verse 2. And I'll go back and, and make some observations. Um, where we're at in time, you are um, getting ready to start coming to the end of Jesus' ministry. This is about nine months before the crucifixion uh, on the cross. Uh, this is a year that there was great opposition against Jesus. His popularity was declining. A lot of enemies were coming to attack Jesus. They wanted to, to kill Jesus already. And they wanted to destroy Jesus. So this is that time period in his life. 
And Jesus is in Jerusalem. Follow with me in verse 2. <clears throat> but early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and, they had, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in, the, in, in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have uh, something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continue asking him, he raised himself up and said, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Then again he stooped back down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. To me, this is an astounding event in the life of Jesus. It is an astounding event when we look at the characters that, that takes place in this story. So Jesus forgives this simple woman. But I want you to notice there are four groups of people uh, in this story. The first group is going to be um, the, the hateful mob. And when we see the hateful mob there in, in chapter 8, um, Jesus is, first look where Jesus is at. He's not in the temple, but he's in the courtyard area of the temple. And the temple is maybe up there behind him. And that's where God dwells in the holies of holies. And you're, you're near the holy place. And he's teaching the people as he always was doing. And there's a crowd gathered there. <clears throat> But there's events taking place behind the scenes that the crowd could not see, but Jesus could have seen with the, the mind of his eye. He, the Jesus haters, this hateful mob, catches this woman, they said in the very act of adultery, and they drag her from the bed through the city, letting people perhaps know her sin and the embarrassment of her sin, and they're dragging her to Jesus, this hateful crowd. They get to Jesus, and they cast the woman at Jesus' feet. And the text says they did this because they were going to be testing Jesus. Secondly, you have the, the sinful woman who's been dragged through the city to the temple court, cast at the feet of Jesus before an audience. Maybe some of the audience was her neighbors, her friends. Maybe even dragged through the city if they were crying adulterous, adulteress. Maybe her neighbors heard it. So we have the woman there cast at the feet of Jesus. Third, you have the audience. You know, they, they're probably kind of shocked <laughs> at this event. And we see that, you know, they're watching this embarrassing event. And they're watching to see what Jesus' reaction is going to be. And fourth, fourth, you have Jesus Christ standing there 
bends down, writes on the ground, stands back up, bends down, writes back on the ground, stands back up again. So you have Jesus, the Son of God, who John chapter 1, verse 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the fourth character standing here. So at this point into the story, I have to believe and say that it was razor-sharp tenseness in the air. It had to feel like electricity in the air, that you have this angry, the energy coming from this angry mob, and you have this woman there in front of Jesus. Jesus is standing, maybe the crowd's backed off, and they're just kind of watching, you know, what's going to happen here? Is he going to kill her? What's going to happen? Really, we can't do that because of the Romans, but you got the law of Moses, and you have some religious leaders here, dragged her here. What's going to happen with this situation? And really, this was a trap. This was a trap for Jesus, is what this was. So we go back to the first group. They were not only a hateful mob of Jesus haters who were wanting to destroy Jesus. Let me just show you how deep you can sink in sin. This group was willing to kill a woman, take a life to destroy Jesus. There, there is no question about their motive. Their motive was not keeping the law of Moses. They're quoting scripture. They're quoting truth. They're quoting the sixth commandment. But their purpose was to destroy Jesus. The, it should have been she was taken to the Sanhedrin, put on trial, had two or three witnesses, then to determine her guilt. No, they, they didn't do any of that. They found a way to destroy Jesus. Then you have the woman. The woman has to be deathly embarrassed, has to be humiliated. She's dragged from the bed through the city. Not only did she commit adultery, she was caught, they said, in the very act of adultery. She is made an embarrassing public spectacle before the audience of her peers outside the, the, in the court of the temple of God. And now to add more insult to her situation, she realizes, I'm just a pawn. She was just a pawn. She wasn't even a human being. She was an object a pawn to be used um, for, to destroy Jesus. And then we see, to fully appreciate the circumstances, I want you to, to look at Jesus. Jesus, we read in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning, let me back up a minute. So you have... The mob over here, their arms folded, wanting to kill this woman, really destroy Jesus. You got the woman, you know, on the ground or standing. Part of the text says she was standing. You got Jesus there. I want you to just think about Jesus for a moment. Who was this woman standing before? Who do we stand before and live before every day of our life? Who was Jesus? In the book of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, John begins his epistle by saying, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was worth God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. So not only is she brought before this rabbi, popular teacher, Jesus, who was very well known all throughout Judea, very well known all throughout Galilee. One gospel preacher said Jesus was more popular than Elvis. Everybody knew Jesus. She's brought before Jesus that everybody knew. And he's a, he's a very popular, well-known rabbi, teacher. But she's also brought before God. 
In the book of Genesis, Jesus being God. In the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. The us was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The woman is not just in front of Jesus the rabbi. She's in front of not just Jesus God. She's in front of her creator, the very person that created mankind. We read in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And later in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. He was the I am of the Old Testament. Now this is where it takes it to the razor edge. Is that the one that Jesus, that she's been brought before, the teacher rabbi that's popular, God, the creator, the, the I am of the Old Testament, the very God on Mount Sinai that gave the Ten Commandments and wrote them with his finger, that also included Jesus as God, as the I am. Never thought of that connection before. As she is before him and maybe on the ground and looking up at him, she, he's looking at her that you broke my sixth commandment. She broke his commandment. She broke God's commandment. The very one of the Old Testament, along with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that, that, that gave the Ten Commandments. And here they want to come with those tables of stone and they want to destroy her using God's law. Not to keep God's law, but simply to, to frame Jesus. So what is Jesus going to do? <laughs> so you look back at this situation, come back to our text. The silence had to be like, um, you, know, you can hear the, the sprint pen drop in the building. And Jesus, we see in the text, he stoops down in verse 6, and he asks like he doesn't even hear them. Riding on the ground, the only record, by the way, of Jesus physically riding anything, I don't know if he was just drawing on the ground. I don't know if he was writing words on the ground. Some people said maybe, and it's all just maybe. Maybe he was writing other sins on the ground. Hate, lie, you know, envy. That would have been the sins of the hateful mob. We don't know what he was writing. And then Jesus stands up, and Jesus says in verse 7, He who is without sin, let him among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then he just goes back to the ground. Their conscience is shocked. They leave one by one. Jesus is left alone with the woman. The woman is probably wondering what in the world has happened. Now go to verse 10. Here is grace. When Jesus had raised himself up, God, the creator, the great I am, and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? And she has no one condemned you. And notice how she answers in verse 11. She says, No one, Lord. She dresses him as Lord. And Jesus said to her, I want you to think about it. The eye contact. Electricity is in the air. And the eyes of him who is full of grace and truth says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. 
She received what she did not deserve. He gave what she needed that she could not get for herself. To me, the woman taken in adultery and her interaction with Jesus is an example of a word picture event in life of Jesus of what grace is. I want to leave John chapter 8. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you were to choose to be somebody in that group of those four people today, um, in your mind, go ahead and choose where would you be in that group. Um, would you be of the angry mob that hated Jesus? I don't think anybody here would be that. We want to go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Um, you know, you can't be Jesus. You know, the safe answer is, well, I'll choose to be in that audience that's standing off to the side. And, you know, they actually came to hear Jesus. That's pretty good. Good to come hear Jesus. And, and they're standing there. They're kind of watching what Jesus is going to do. You could choose to be that person. But this is where the sermon's going. You and I are in the position of the woman taken in adultery. That's not my sin, not your sin. But James tells us if you commit any sin, all the weight of God's law comes down upon you like it was coming down on her that day. We are the woman, the sinful woman in the story. And we need grace the one that she was standing or sitting in front of in, in this story. When you look at the book of Ephesians, uh, we see in this text that Jesus gives grace. And in giving grace, Jesus forgives the woman. We are saved by grace. And we need to be able to say that with great confidence. No denying the authority of Christ. No denying that we're not under law. Have to obey God's commandments. We are foremost under grace. We need God's grace. God has always given His grace. Um, all throughout the Old Testament history, God was kind, gave good favor. Uh, God gives grace today. And I want us to, um, to, to look at what God has done for us. And we're going to read verses 1 um, down through verse 10. And we're going to go back and divide this, this, this part into two parts. And let's begin reading in verse 1. Paul is writing to Christians. These are already Christians, and they're at Ephesus. And he says, let me tell you about where you started before you became a Christian. He says in chapter 2 and verse 1, And you he made alive, who are dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love of which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together, and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceedingly riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God 
prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I want us to, to kind of go back and kind of look at the, the context of this passage. And I want you to notice in this context, first, I want you to notice man's sinfulness. <clears throat> Paul is writing to a, the church of Christ at Ephesus. They're all there assembled together, maybe hearing this letter as a church. So he addresses Christians. And he says to them as Christians, he says to us as Christians, back in verse 1, he says, God made you alive. You're dead in trespasses and sins. And then he describes how bad the trespasses and sins got within our lives, in which you also walked, how we lived our life, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who now works in the son of disobedience. And now look how he just makes it go deeper. He says in verse 3, among whom also we all, he includes himself on in that, we all conducted ourselves uh, in the lust of the flesh, filling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. So, so, so how bad was I before I was baptized? How bad were you before you were baptized? At the end of the day, all sin separates us away from God. And whether, you know, I was baptized when I was 11, and, and I'm not sure what age I reached age of accountability. It was, when I was 11, I reached that age, and I realized I lied. Didn't always obey my parents. Maybe he said a bad word. I'm sure I did a lot of things I shouldn't have done at the age of 11. But I realized I, was, I sinned and I needed to be saved. And so I was baptized in the Christ. Since that time, I still sin. You still sin. I still fall short. You still fall short. We need God's grace. But when you look at the picture that Paul paints, it doesn't matter if you're an 11-year-old getting baptized or if you're a 50-year-old getting baptized and you've really had a lot of sin in your life and done a lot of wicked things in your life. The bottom line is we're all in the same position together. We need grace. The woman needed grace. We're in her shoes. My sin would not be adultery. Your sin may not be adultery, but she had sin and I had sin. We're all in the same boat together. Not only that, he goes on to say in verse 3, he says, and we're by nature children of wrath. I did a series on Calvinism a while back, and I really wanted to get into Calvin's mind. What was he really teaching and thinking? So I bought his book and read, read parts of it. Didn't read the whole book. And um, Calvinism teaches that you are born with sin, the guilt of Adam's sin. And by the way, side note, <laughs> um, I had a brand new little baby granddaughter born uh, Friday. And, um, you know, she's not even 48 hours old yet. And according to Calvinism, she, she has sin. Uh, and according to the Bible, no, you do not have sin. The, father, the son does not inherit the sin of the father. And so according to Calvinism, by nature means you're born that way. What Paul means is, we got really good at practicing it, that it changes our character. Um, you ever meet somebody that says, you know what, before I became a Christian, I used to curse like a sailor, but that's not even a temptation anymore. Yeah, by nature, you learn how to curse like a sailor. After you became a Christian, you worked on giving it up, giving it up, giving it up. Now it's not part of your nature anymore. We even corrupted the nature that God made only in the sense that it became our habit, not that we're corrupted in our DNA. And then you have this great contrast it's, but you have to get that very that, that transitioning word in verse 4. 
So we are so bad off because of our sin, and our sin made us bad and evil and sinful in God's eyes. But here's God's eyes looking back at us, what we need in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, so he's rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, he didn't just love us, he has a great love for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved. But not only that, look what else he's done for us. Look at verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. I always wonder if verse 6 is you can get baptism in that verse. Because we are raised up in the waters of baptism in Romans chapter 6 verse 4 to walk in the newness of life. Well, that's already the point here. The point is we are sitting in what he calls the heavenly places where back in 1, 2, and 3 we're in the mire of the guilt of our sin. Now we're sitting in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can you leave um, Ephesians 2 for a moment and go back to Ephesians 1? Where is Jesus in verse 20? Where did he place Jesus? Which he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand. Jesus is in the heavenly places. We are in, the, we are in a fellowship sense in the same place with Jesus. And he goes on to tell us in um, verse 8 that we, um, by for grace you've been saved through faith. When of you think about grace, um, how would you do, we asked that question earlier, so what word did you come up with with defining grace? And let me share with you some words that I think help us understand grace. One definition that I think is a good definition, I think we can repeat it so many times it can lose its meaning and feeling, is unmerited favor. And it really means that. And I heard a preacher just kind of take out the word merited favor, and he just preached it by saying it's God's favor. And somehow that just kind of rested and felt very good. One place I do not like to go is to the DMV to get my tag for my license plate. You know you're going to be there half a day, you're going to be standing in line, it's going to be hot, there's going to be a lot of people there. And I had to go get a... Um, a little plaque for my wife to hang in the car that she can park in a handicapped place. Uh, she, she has some issues with walking, and, and it had expired. It's only $2, and so I go there, and I stand in line. It's 45 minutes. I get to the window, pull out my debit card. It's just 2 bucks. Just give me the new plaque. Thank you. And she lady looks at me after 45 minutes being there. She says, we don't take debit cards. And so I'm thinking, okay, I can fix this, I can fix this, I can fix this. I don't carry cash. I don't, I don't have $2. I can't fix this. I got to go get $2 and come back and stand in line on a busy day to, to get this plaque sticker. And I felt this little tug on my sleeve. And I looked over, and there's this older, aged black lady. And she said, here's $2. And in a moment, I'm thinking, you're listening to the conversation. You knew the, the depths of the predicament I was in. <laughs> I'm an older white guy. You're a, a lady who probably went through times where there would have been prejudice more in our country. And you're up here saving me from having to come back here. And she gave me $2. I went back to my car, and I found every quarter I could find 
and went back and gave her $3 in quarters. And I said, ma'am, God bless you and thank you. And she looked up a big old smile. But she gave me, she intervened. She gave me something I did not deserve. And that's what God has done for us with his grace and his mercy and that we're saved by grace. So here's some definition words. And it's nice to be able to feel it. It helps you understand it. Uh, Vine says, that which bestows or occasions pleasure, delight, causes favorable regard, friendly disposition, kindly act proceeds, good will, especially with reference to divine favor and grace. So when you think about God giving you grace, God offering our world grace, the grace of God has appeared to all men, what God has done for you is God gave you, he looked upon you in your sin with favorable regard. Well, you know what? Luther sinned. I know he's young, but he sinned. He's condemned in his sins. But I'm going to give Luther favorable regard. By faith, he can obey the gospel. God, gave, God was, gave you friendly disposition. God acted kindly toward you. Kindness proceeded from his acts. God gave you his good will. I want you to keep Ephesians chapter 2 marked in your Bible, and I want you to look at a very amazing word in John 3.16. I know where you think we're going, but that's not where we're going. Look at John 3.16. I want you to read this for yourself. I've read John 3.16 all my life, and only about 10 or so many years ago did really John uh, 3.17 just kind of hit me right between the eyes. This is how God feels toward the sinful world that he's going to give his son for in John 3.16. They're going to crucify. The world doesn't deserve his son. He's going to give his son because God so loved the world that he wants us to have every life. But look at God's attitude toward me and you. Look at verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. What was God's friendly disposition from heaven today toward me and you in the world? God did not send Jesus in the world, let Him die on the cross, that God would have a reason to condemn the world, that God would have a reason to send you or everybody else to hell who does not receive the forgiveness of their sin. That is not how he thinks. That's not how he feels. That is not his motivation. That is not his heart. His heart and his demeanor, the way he feels toward the, the, all of us in the world and, and for us even as Christians, is that God did not send Jesus into the world to die on the cross so Jesus would have a, so God would have a reason to send the world to hell in a handbasket. God's demeanor was grace. Grace. We see that in the way he treated um, the woman. We look at Jesus, and we look at Jesus demonstrating God's grace in front of this woman. I want us to notice in the book of Romans chapter 5 that God just doesn't talk grace, but God practices grace. God has demonstrated, this is where it gets personal, this is where you can understand it, you can think it, and thinking should be the, bring the right feelings within our lives. In the book of Romans chapter 5, we come down to verse 8. The Bible says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Where do you go for forgiveness when as a Christian you still sin? You go back to God. You ask God to forgive you. The sin's gone. Keep on serving God. That's grace. You need to repent. You need to feel sorry for it. That's forgiveness. That's grace. God has once again demonstrated his goodness. Paul would talk about how we stand in grace as Christians today. Paul would talk about when Jesus comes again, the grace that we brought with him when he comes again, as he said to the Thessalonians. I think we can see the importance of grace. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. So we've talked about how we've seen grace. We've talked about how grace is undeserved favor. It's God's goodwill. It's God's attitude toward mankind. It's God's attitude toward you personally within your life. And I want you to look what Paul, how he felt personally in his life about grace and what God did for him. And begin reading in verse 12. Now, let's not read verse 12 yet. Look back up here just for a moment. Think about who's saying these words. The one who persecuted the church, the one who persecuted Christians, the one who with vehement zeal would put Christians in prison, compel them or beat them to deny Christ, the one who would pull parents away from their children and arrest them because they were Christians, the one who killed Christians. Think about the, 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 the atmosphere of persecution at the time when, when Saul of Tarsus was doing that. Think for a moment what we're hearing about hostages over in Israel and the, the terror. Well, Paul, Paul kind of did that toward Christians, didn't he? And Paul never forgot where he was and what he came from. This is the man who writes these words. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the mystery. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. How do you feel about grace? How does it make you feel? How can you feel like you stand in grace, you, you breathe in grace, you walk in grace. And yes, I, I don't want to sin. Grace is not a reason to get away with sin, by the way. But how can I feel confident, safe, and have peace in my relationship with God? Let me make a couple observations and lessons going to be yours. Number one, grace will always be greater than your sin. Years ago in Montgomery... We had a man who came back to the Lord and um, very, very faithfully. And um, he had a friend, a young lady, who um, really lived a wild life. She did drugs. She drank. She partied. Um, she had a daughter. She wasn't married. And um, nobly, she was raising her daughter. But at a party 
on a boat not far from the beach. There was drinking and there was partying and there was a lot of drinking and partying going on. And she wanted to go back to the beach and party, so she left her little girl on the boat and asked her friends to watch the little girl. And what happened was the little girl fell in the water. And by the time they got her out and they revived her and got her to the hospital, that little girl had come to church and I had seen her and I, I hugged her. Uh, she's mentally challenged and she doesn't have controls of her limbs. And this mother is raising this girl and what has been inflicted upon her was because of mistakes she made. So now we're sitting having a Bible study at the church building and she's bawling her eyes out for what she did for her little girl. The only answer I could give her is God. God will forgive you of that. God will give you grace for that. God will give you courage to live what you're going through. God will be with you. He'll be your father. You'll be his child. He will strengthen you. He will keep you. She needed God's grace. In the woman, her sin was great. She broke Jesus' sixth commandment, and his grace was greater than her sin. In Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and verse 21, Paul says, where sin abounded, Grace abounded much more. So looking at the world, <clears throat> whatever level of sin there was in the world, God's grace is going to be greater. But let's pull that down to your personal life. What about somebody who comes to you, maybe wants to come to church, they don't feel like you know, I can walk in a church building because y'all are, are Christians and I'm a worldly person and I've had an abortion. Uh, we had one couple come to us, they were living together. <laughs> I have a, had a Bible study on the front pew with them before we baptized them about, after we do this, y'all can't live together anymore. And we, we worked it out. Well, if somebody comes and they just live too bad for too long and they just feel like, you know, maybe Calvinism is true. I'm just, I, I'm worthless to God. Where, where sin abounded, Grace in your personal life will always abound more. There's no sin. I want to say this especially to our young people here. There's no sin that you ever can commit that you cannot come back to Jesus. You cannot come back to God. Nothing will keep you from coming back to God but your decision. And God will forgive you. He will make you clean again. And you'll keep on serving Him. And you'll keep on walking and standing in grace. So grace will always be greater than our sin. Number two, grace will be greater than our guilt. I couldn't take away that young lady's pain. The pain was real. But God's grace, and as you get older as a Christian and you mess up and you sin, you go back and ask God to forgive you and you just keep on enjoying being a Christian, though we still mess up from time to time. And, 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 and when the Apostle Paul, he never forgot what he did, but God's grace was greater than his guilt. And grace will always be greater than your works. <laughs> After I was baptized, I was in a Bible class. Correct some thinking here if it's here this morning. We're going to bring your lesson to a close. And um, we're in class, and, and I just made a comment. I just hope I can do more good before I die than I do more sin. And I just saw it. I got to do more good. How would that work? It worked like this. I can do more good than sin so I can get into heaven. And the teacher said, 
No, Luther. God forgives your sin. You are due to do good works. This is the thing about grace. The woman before Jesus could never do enough good works to overcome her sin. We are always do good works. We're going to study that tonight. But I can never do enough good works to deserve God's grace. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what makes grace, grace. To the woman, he says to her, Jesus said to her, Woman, were those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Jesus said, No one, Lord. She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. You are forgiven. Go home. You're not an adulteress. You are forgiven of that sin. You are clean. Your neighbors might have whispered. They might have still talked about her. Some weeks and months would have gone by. But she would have gone back to that moment and think, You know what? He forgave me. I'm forgiven. This morning, we want to put God's plan of salvation on the screen. I always like to include God's plan of salvation, God's love, and God's grace. If you're here this morning, and maybe you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to become a Christian this morning. If you're here and you have sin in your life, and that sin has beaten you down, and you want forgiveness of that sin, you want to feel clean again like the day you were baptized, you could have that before you leave the building this morning. You have a group of brethren here who love you. You have a God in heaven who's waiting for you. If we can help you in any way, please come while we stand and while we sing.